Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week's episode is one I think will hit home for a lot of triathletes. We're talking to mental health researcher and ultra runner and triathlete herself, Jill Colangelo. Jill started studying the link between mental health and endurance sports after she found herself overtrained with no answers for what drives a regular athlete to train themselves to that point. What she found may sound familiar to many of you. Now, more recently, she's been talking to other triathletes who have been diagnosed with ADHD or autism or the overlapping symptoms between both. And she's trying to understand why there's so much overlap with triathlon and what triathlon can do to be more welcoming to neurodiverse athletes. It's a fascinating episode with a lot of good information. But first, Sid and I preview the PTO's Canada Open this weekend and take bets on who will make it with all of their equipment intact to Edmonton. One quick note, after we recorded, it was announced that Olympic gold medalist Alistair Brownlee will be joining the start list. We'll have all the updated previews and how to watch info on triathlete.com later this week. All of that after this break. Want to get more out of your rides beyond just distance, time, and pace? How about advanced navigation and the ability to see upcoming hills on your route? The Hammerhead Karoo 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential. Hammerhead's Karoo 2 seamlessly imports routes with turn-by-turn directions. The touchscreen display is also intuitive, responsive, and in full color, so you can see clearly in any conditions during all of your hardest workouts. Plus, Hammerhead's exclusive predictive path technology lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time with or without a route loaded. That's why it's a favorite of top triathletes like Flora Duffy and Vincent Louis. Now, Hammerhead is giving Triathlete Hour listeners an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR at checkout to get yours today. Now that's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR, all one word. All right, we're here with Sid again as she packs up to head out for her whole adventure, maybe makes her flight tomorrow. So, Sid, you are headed to the PTO Open, then to Boulder for training, then to Kona. Big question is, who is going to make it to Canada? Oh, God, I am not holding out oh any hope for me. <laughs> I am doomed, I think. Um, I have two connecting flights. I'm totally screwed. There is... Your bike's not going to make it. My bike's not going to make it. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. I've like been trying to pack as much race essentials i don't know like what you would call a race essential into my backpack and obviously we'll go be pretending that that's as light as it is um and then it's funny because i've i've been kind of like the most organized for this trip in terms of packing like my bike was packed two days ago well almost um like i'd had all my clothes out i'm realizing i've got more space in my case than i thought i would and that's because most of my stuff's in my backpack so i'm like oh that's the difference and then, yeah, I've kind of been at like 80% packed for like two days and the 20% is just not getting anywhere. I still have lost the ability now to make decisions on what right. to take and right. what not to take. So I've got five wheels. I can only take four. And this is the craziness. I'm like panic, not panicking. I can't make a decision about to take a, a extra hoodie jumper or not. I'm like, it's summer. You, can, you, you can don't do even need two. Yeah. You probably only need one. Why do you need three? <laughs> so I'm at that stage. Here's what you have to tell it's yourself. Like, oh tell gosh. yourself every time I get to this, you tell yourself, you can just buy it there. It's the America. That's what I've started to Yeah, it's yeah. Fun. I've started, I think that's why I got really, I'd got all my clothes out and then I did like a real 
coal or relatively coal for me and then I was like I'll just get it in America which is what I always always do and then I have to ship stuff back because I've got too much or I just leave it there um but yes who is going to make it to Canada it is I mean that is the big question all over the place at the moment yeah so so I guess for people who like aren't super paying attention aren't like following (laughs) everyone's Instagram so obviously Flora didn't get her bike in time yeah. for Montremblant. Yeah. But that was only the start. Montreal. Then, like Georgia Taylor Brown. Oh, Montremblant. Yeah, that was, yeah, sorry, Montremblant. Yeah. Yeah. And then Georgia Taylor Brown's bike never made it back from Montreal. From and WCCS. she she hasn't still she got still it. She still doesn't have it. She doesn't have it. Um, Emma Jackson's bike was three weeks in a, in an airport in the UK, didn't move yeah. anywhere. Um, and so yeah. now going to Canada, it sounds like Sarah Perez Salah's bike has already been broken. Yuri Kulin's bike showed up at someone else's house. Yeah, like, that's what the air tag showed. Yeah, like. <laughs> so weird. It was in Toronto. He was in Edmonton. It was meant to be on like the next day flight, but then the air tag showed it like, and you can see the picture. It's like a residential street and it's got his bag and we're like, oh God. Uh, the Norwegians, uh, they got their bikes. They have now got their bikes and bags or, or whatever, but... I did see Laura Phillip had arrived with bikes and everything, obviously, but only the outside. We hopefully they're intact. Um, I am flying through New York and Toronto. I am still screwed. I'm pretty much sure. You're not yeah, getting your bike. Getting it's like, bike. obviously it's chaos. Like we did a story about this. There's like, l- yeah. there's reasons that there's chaos across all the airlines. There's like staffing issues. There's the fact that they like sold off planes and fired people in the last two years and they can't staff back yeah. up and, and, Leisure travel has also gone up, but business travel hasn't. And so they like just can't keep up and all this shit. But Air Canada is like hit, like they have been hit so bad. They literally, one of the Jackie Herring, who had her flight uh, up to Edmonton canceled and now she's like had to rebook on something else. She told me Air Canada sent a letter out to everyone who had a flight booked. It was just like, look, we are so underwater. Your flight could get canceled at any time. Oh, wow. We don't know. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. (laughs) I mean, I, I, like I said, I think it's everywhere. I we There was a guy here in Girona who was meant to fly back to the UK yesterday. They were literally in the airport about to get told what gate they needed to go to. And then it just flashed up cancelled. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we've oh, everything else is booked. See you later kind of thing. They were like, um, so he was at the pool again today. Um, like, it, and and then everywhere. there's people who have visa issues, too. I mean, yeah, like, like, I saw Brad Weiss isn't going to make it because South Africa visa. And he, and he started applying two months ago. Yeah, exactly. And then, crazy. but that's... That's interesting, and I think we'll come on to it later, but if you've been watching the World Athletics, because we're both sports geeks, so we're watching everything. Track. The track. track. Sorry, track for you <laughs> Americans. Um, some of the British athletes didn't even get visas to get into the US for the World Championship track, mm-hmm. and I haven't got to the bottom of that, but yeah. For- yeah, there have been a bunch of people who haven't got, not a bunch, but like enough that it's more than one or two yeah. who had visa trouble coming into the US, which obviously like the US can be tough with yeah. visas, but... Canada, Canada's supposed to welcome everybody. I know, they're meant to be the friendly, like, friendly country. Yeah. Come on, Canada, let's get together. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like half, I mean, obviously all the pros are joking, like the fourth discipline is going to be just getting to the start line. Yeah. It's nuts. It is. Um, yeah, as I said, I mean, I think I spoke to um, the PTO and the event team over in Canada. I just said, hey, you know, is there backup plans kind of thing? We've known about this for a while and... <laughs> To be fair, they're like working really hard with like the logistics and the transport companies. Um, who knows what's going to happen? I think it's kind of like, like, and the other thing is like, you can't get stressed about it. Like there's nothing I can do in my control that's yeah. going to speed it up. Yeah, I can put air, t- well, I've got air tags in all my bags, but, it, and that helps. It tells me where the bags are, but it doesn't help them get to me as such. But at least I know they're at someone's house in Toronto. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of big names coming to this race. It's going to be a yeah. really good race. And on the upside, I think it's, uh, I mean, it was supposed to be 40, and then they did some wild cards. And now with all these different changes, it's down to like 30 something. And, both, and then if a bunch of people don't make it and it's only 20, you're all going to get paid yeah, super well. So that's good. I'm going to be gutted if it's like down to 20 and I'm not there. And then my, but I, I, if it was like 19 people, and there was like no bikes. I would rob some small kid of his bike and do 80k, do 80K <laughs> on just like a, a tiny pedal bike just to get that 20th spot and get five grand. <laughs> it is uh, it is paying super well, which is yeah. why we're seeing some big names. It's the first of the PTO Open event. Obviously, the Collins Cup finally happened last year, but that was sort of like a different thing. This is first of the Open events. Then we'll see the US Open in what? two months yeah end of september so yeah and then next year we'll have the two the asia open and the europe yeah. open and it's uh, i'm like gonna pull the start list but it's like all the big names everyone's like it's pretty it's pretty legit yeah i mean i would say it's all the big names of predominantly shorter focused athletes mid distance mid distance i think we're missing some of the big names like you know daniela reef's not racing mm. Um, I would say Kat Matthews is not racing. She's been quite busy lately. So, you know, no surprise there, maybe. Um, I think there's some maybe of those. Although the stupid thing but is... Laura Phillips racing. Laura Phillips racing. And Kat and Kat and Daniela could are equally as good world-class at the mid-distance, the half-distance. But I think just with the number of races, the world champs, two world champs races, quite late announcing of the dates just because of trying to get agreements and venues and stuff and then just long seasons and i think people are still mm -hmm. struggling with the with the side effects of covid or injuries and that sort of thing and then travel and and it's expensive to travel at the moment like i've had oh my god i've so had expensive. quite a few pros reach out to me just saying this is ridiculous i can't afford to do a race in wherever it was because car hire is several grand for four days can you need a car because there's no accommodation because it's in the middle of nowhere and there's no assistance and then the prize money pays nothing like how are we meant to afford to oh yeah you're not talking this? i was like yeah. i was like what are you talking yeah. i thought you were talking about this for a second no 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 i'm just saying in but, general, but it general, is still yeah, like yeah. even to my yeah. my flight costs to get to canada are not cheap like no I need to be finished. It cost me like $2,000 to fly direct from San Francisco to Munich. Yeah. Like that was crazy. Yeah. It's, it's super expensive these yeah. days. Yeah. Which if that's the entirety you're getting in prize money, it's like. Yeah, mm. that's it. If your yeah. bike turns up. <laughs> if your bike turns up. <laughs> yeah. So, but we do have on the start yes. list. I mean, I know you have feelings about, I respect the 100K distance as an attempt to get kind of the short course and the long course in between. I think the downside is that they haven't actually got a lot of the super short course people. They don't have a lot of the WTS people. A lot of those people are preparing for the Commonwealth Games, so they're not... Or they're not... I think we may see them or they're not, at the US um, Open. They're not members of the PTO yet because they maybe they're haven't done a race. Which apparently you have to be a member and sign a contract, which... Uh, an agreement. An agreement, yeah. sorry. Yeah, apparently yeah. now. Um, but yeah, a lot of the WTS athletes are obviously, yeah. they have Commonwealth Games and other things. We might see them at US Open or Collins Cup, yeah. but, but the 100K is supposed to be sort of this, like, we're going to see everyone. And I'm looking, I mean, we do have Paula Finley, Sky Munch, uh, Laura Phillip, Emma Pallant-Brown, uh, Jackie Herring, who talked Holly Lawrence. Nick, lots of, I mean, that's a lot of people. Nicholas Spearing. Nicholas Spearing. retirement again. Yeah. Uh, Ash Gentle, I, mean, I, mean, I don't Tamara think she's Zira. like officially retired <laughs> until the end yeah. of the year. Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea Sodaro. And then you have got like people mm -hmm. like um, 
Louisa Baptista and right. Vittoria Lopez. They've had pretty... Oh, Radka Kardafelt. She's going to be an interesting one to watch because mm. she's not raced for a lot of years because she's had a second child and she's been in Australia. Right. And then she raced Ironman Cairns, got her Kona slot that was in her kind of... It wasn't quite debut Ironman, but pretty much. Um, but she used to be a fantastic... I'm sure still is when I say used to be pre-covid years it was a fantastic <laughs> half middle distance racer right, right and so i'm really i think she'll be like she's going into unknown we really don't know what form she's in where she's at yeah. right now yeah. yeah i mean louisa batiste is my dark horse yeah. but yeah but that's you know i don't know how much of a dark horse you can be when you got second at oceanside yeah yeah but yeah true well um those are some big names, though, and we I think they're also all on their game, pretty much. Like you said, the people who kind of are overbooked right now or just got off a sub-eight Ironman I was going to say, there's only, are... <laughs> there's only, there's a small percentage of athletes in there on the women's side that have done a full distance of late. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would say, obviously, Laura Phillip and Sky, because Sky does every full distance going, but <laughs> Laura, but they've done ones more recently. Um, Fenella. Okay, Nicola. Chelsea. But yeah. Like, there's not that many. It's mainly those women that are that pure mid distance. And honestly, like besides Laura Phillip, I sort of expect the mid distance specialist to excel. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think it's for got sure. Paula Findlay written all over this course to some extent. Uh, her mom her designed, mom designed the it. Course, yeah. So. <laughs> Actually, there is a really good video on the PTO yes. website of um, of Paula sort of interviewing her mom and going. Some might say that it's a bit of a you know conflict of interest, and let's talk through the course. It's actually really good. It, they do a really good job, uh, so it's quite interesting. Um, it's quite funny. Yeah, I think if she wins, though, I mean, I kind of you know you got to kind of root for her. Her winning in her hometown would be pretty huge. Yeah, it would be. Pretty big, yeah. She did win the PTO, like no, sorry, not PTO. Yeah, she won the the challenge. challenge. Yeah, yeah. So she she's got a few big paychecks. <laughs> a few big paychecks. Um, and then obviously on the men's side, I mean, we've mentioned the Norwegians. I just want to finally see the Norwegians. I know we don't have Jan in there yet, but it's the Norwegians and Lionel and Joe Skipper and I mean, yeah, I, I think that's got. I mean. Yeah. I'd say like with the men, I don't know. I'm looking at the start list. You've got the Norwegian. I think Christian and Gustav, if the, we've not really had a head to head of those two because no. No. Christian got the flat. One keeps World, getting hurt. One's in, one's sick. out. Lionel, again, like you said, Canada, he's going to be frothing. Like, Oh, yeah. Um, and then you've got like Matt Hansen, Skipper. Again, we've sort of, yeah, we've seen him in the in the sub seven, but haven't sort of seen him since. Jackson Laundry again, another Canadian. Well, I think Skipper was on his, I don't know what you guys call it, his like honeymoon. Oh, yeah, that's right. He got married recently. Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you've got kind of a bunch. Yeah, it, I mean, it's. Yeah, I'm just scrolling down. You've got some interesting There's guys. a lot of people. Yeah. There's yeah. some interesting names yeah. for sure. Um, Sebi is going to be back, uh, which is always nice to see him back. I know he was, he didn't feel like he could get ready in time for Roth, yeah. but. It's always good to Matt see Matt McElroy. Mm, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he could be. I want to see Sharp more. I want to see more. And Matt Sharp as well. Those. those two kind of coming up from. The sure, WTS. Yeah, Henry, see, and I want to see more of the WTS well, guys coming the, up. Like, I, I think know there's that's... more in the. There seems to be a bit more in the men's. You've got Henry nice. Schumann, yeah. Matt Sharp, Matt McElroy. 
um, are those shorter distance specialist guys that have come up if I'm doing a quick yeah I think the men's is a bit more of a mix of people I mean we've talked about this before the women there is more of a cohort of mid-distance specialists who that's what they do whereas the men that's not as much like you get it's just not as much of a thing and so I think the men's list we see more of just like short course people and super long course people and it's kind of all over and really we're all just here for Christian versus Gustav (laughs) versus Lionel Lionel. let's be real (laughs) I saw um the only good thing about Strava adding video Ooh. to their posts is basically that the Norwegians post video now from their workouts, <laughs> which is the funniest thing. Oh, and they've been trying to make the hashtag Iron War 22 oh, really? happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm going to start using Is it that between the two of them or between the Norwegians and the rest of the world? What's the, like, what's Who knows? The... <laughs> yeah. So that is this Saturday, Saturday and Sunday. Women go on Saturday, men go on Sunday. Women go on Saturday, like late morning. The men go on Sunday a little bit later. Um, It's going to be obviously live. It's like 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Yeah, something like that. that. Uh, Obviously, you've got age group races. Um, It's going to be live streamed. You've got um, Linda Granger, Vicky Holland, and two gentlemen that I named. Oh, um, Barry Shepley. Is that the right one? Yeah. Mm. And then somebody else that name escapes me. Apologies um doing the commentary um yeah i mean there's kind of lots going it'll on it'll be on outside watch there we go bit, yeah outside we watch. will if i can figure it out on the tech end on the back end we'll have it running yeah. on our site as well yeah. so people can watch so and i think it's just going to be exciting just to see like what what the event's going to be about the buzz the hype like you said it's sort of the first of its kind for the pto and um yeah, mm-hmm. lots of people will be there. I think it'll be, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll, lots of people will be there with bikes as well. <laughs> right, it'll be great. Otherwise, there'll be more spectators uh, than they plan. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really funny, actually. <laughs> the other, okay, so that's obviously the big, big race happening this weekend. Um, the other big race is Ironman Lake Placid. And I was interested to see that there were a few people that are skipping Canada Open to race Placid, uh, like Cody Beals posted that he had really kind of gone all in on Placid and chosen to skip Kanda. Um, yeah. I We both saw Sarah True on the start list, and I have not heard one way or the other if she's starting, but I assume she's starting. Yeah. Um, I assume she wants her Kona spot, and that's why she decided to go yeah. that direction. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure Sarah's a member of the PTO anyway, so I'm not sure she's eligible to race but I would who knows think all she has to she do has is to, sign something exactly. right like, yeah yeah but yeah, yeah i would imagine uh sarah's coming off the back of having a little baby and had a really great mm-hmm. race in a 70.3 a few weeks ago winning that so uh yeah i think it'll be exciting to see if sarah is lining up at placid um it would be good yeah. um good to see her get her 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 kona on a slot to um it is a smaller field, obviously, just given, you know, the pros can't all race everywhere on the same weekend. Yeah. I mean, you know, unless you're. Yeah. Unless you're one of those unless you want to. Unless you want to. I was about to list. nearly mention somebody's <laughs> name. Unless you're somebody who puts them on, puts themselves on every start list every weekend is in about five different places. Right. Yeah. Right. 
That'd Other than that. And, uh, and then next weekend is the Commonwealth Games, which is yes. apparently big to you guys. It's pretty is big. A big deal yeah, to you yeah. And it's in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. It's in Birmingham. That's my worst Birmingham accent. Jodie uh, Simpson, if you're listening to this, I apologize for uh, <laughs> just uh, brutalizing the Brummie accent. Uh, it's in Birmingham in the UK, that is, not Birmingham in America, where the World Games are going on at the moment. Who knew that was a thing? Um, but yeah, it is. Ex- I think I think it's as with a lot of these big sports competitions. I think the Commonwealth Games is changing a little bit. It has been huge for the last few hmm. few years. It's the Commonwealth countries. So when the Empire was except great, like you won't let us. It's because you're not yeah, a member of the Commonwealth. That's, that's why. <laughs> Only because we left. Like. <laughs> so, um, but it. But it, the funny thing is, when you say it, we say it's a Commonwealth. It's actually a competition. It's where. So at the Olympics, Great Britain and Northern Ireland compete as one team, right. whereas at the Commonwealth Games, it's right. all split up to England, Scottish, Scotland, yeah. Wales, and everything. So that's a bit. So there's a bit of inter rivalry between kind of people there. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, so a lot of athletes, a lot of the triathletes are gearing up for that. Hence, Flora Duffy is not in Edmonton, I'm guessing, because she's in representing Bermuda, which is in the Commonwealth, so she'll be going for it's a big deal. The Commonwealth I am title. just rooting for the Bermuda mixed relay oh, team Bim- to beat <laughs> to, beat. to beat you guys. I just think the Bermuda mixed relay. I just think like Tyler Butterfield, Ty is just like I'm pretty sure he's I think in the last Commonwealth Games, didn't he do the mixed team relay and and the marathon? Like in the same Maybe. I think so. Yeah. He's just like the man of everything. Um, they like brought him out of retirement yeah. so they have four yeah. people like it's gonna be yeah, great totally yeah. so yeah it's a uh, so wait so wait I'm a little confused yeah. though because there isn't like there aren't all the all the sports but there are some and there is a mixed team relay so then is it Wales versus yeah. Scotland yeah. versus in the mixed team relay uh, if they have so an, who's on what team well if they have enough of those athletes so for example for in in for the triathlon so Beth Potter who everyone will know mm-hmm. is a great a, athlete for Great Britain but she's racing under for Scotland and then mm-hmm. um non Stanford who would normally race Great Britain she's racing for Wales um and then you've got Georgia Taylor Brown and uh Alex Yee and some of the other names um that will be racing in England so uh, to be fair I don't actually know if Wales and Scotland have got mixed team mixed relay. relay I'm sure they have I just haven't seen the team announced that'd be interesting yeah um, and then obviously you've got like Australia, New Zealand in there, uh, Canada, um, yeah, Jamaica. Well, I'm, I'm saying I'm now going into netball head cause I'm thinking of the netball. So, right, you're just naming so teams. netball is a big, so netball is for again, America, it's a little bit like basketball is the easiest way to describe it, but it's very well played. It's very popular in the Commonwealth countries. It's not an Olympic sport, which I think is ludicrous, but it's not really played by men either so they won't let it into the olympics but it's huge in the commonwealth so for netball they have like their world championships and then the commonwealth games is like they're almost their olympics and there's bigger rivalry right. between australia new zealand england jamaica south africa that's another you know another country and stuff so yeah it's and it's in i was supposed to go to the netball world championships when you yeah were handball world championship yeah not hand yeah mm. but but that's I right know, so it's a <laughs> and the Commonwealth Games is often like it's called the friendly games, so it's more kind of hmm. it's not I would say cutthroat as the Olympics, but that's not the same. It's probably not quite got that that status of the Olympics, but it's a lot more in, it it's a not, lot more no. inclusive, it's a lot more 
like you said, other sports are involved as well. It just tends to have a really great atmosphere. Um, so yeah, mm. but there is. Well, we're gonna make up our own games, okay? <laughs> you have in enough. The United States. You have like, what is it? Is it baseball or basketball that just calls itself the World Series, but it's only for teams in America? Yeah. Like, does that work? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Eurovision. It's like Eurovision Song Contest, but we have Australia in it. Like, how does that work? Since when were Australia in Europe, but the UK and the UK is in it Whatever. now as well. It'd almost but, be like a private company putting on their own race and calling it a world wouldn't championship. Wouldn't that be just, a thing? Be like that. Wouldn't that be a thing? That would be. But, I mean, there is <laughs> so much sport on at the moment. It's mental and so many, so much women's sport. Like, at the moment in the UK, that well, in Europe, there's uh, the European women's football, which is really excited. I've been so impressed. I've been watching the games. The yeah, it's like the standards have been really cool and the games have been really great. Um, it was World Cup hockey, field hockey, that is. It's like been the 150th years of the Open Golf in Scotland. It's been the track world championship. I've been watching the track, yeah. It's the world games, which I said about in Birmingham, the USA. Who knew what that is? I just keep getting random sports. I don't know. Sports popping up on the screen. Uh, there was like I was downhill. watching all the track this weekend. Say there was da- but there was downhill mountain biking and cross mm-hmm. biking mm-hmm. at the weekend up here in Andorra. Um, yeah, it's crazy, crazy busy at the moment. Oh, and the Tour I de France. I oh, forget about and the Tour de Femme. And the Tour de Femme is about to start as well, which will be really exciting. A lot of it is uh, like track, for instance, is was supposed to be last year. And got yeah. pursued. So a lot of things you're getting yeah. kind of the same. We're getting in triathlon where like things have gotten stacked up against each yeah. other. And it's just a lot. Um, but I've been watching a lot of track and then, uh, I was telling you, and we will finish on this, uh, I mean, track's been super exciting. I love track because yeah. it's exciting, but then I also watched some tour this weekend and this is how busy I've been. And I didn't watch it. I didn't know that like Yumbo Visma wasn't pronounced Jumbo. I didn't, I just learned how to pronounce what's his name? Pudget? Or Pajaka? Oh, Pajaka. It's Pajak. Pajak. I can't is, even say it. There's, it's how... The, there's like two ways of set. I'm sure there's more than that, and we're butchering both of them. I know. The announcers say it differently, like every time. That's why I can't figure it out. They say Pagacha. And that's not or how it looks. Pogica. So one like, says Pogica, one says Pajaka. I can't even say it how you say that other way. Yeah. Pagacha. They're all like, and like, I did not know that Jumbo wasn't pronounced Jumbo. That was the big thing. Blew my yeah, mind. that's like Roth so, and Rope, though, isn't it? Like, who, who knew? knew? But knew? the tour, I have to say, who the tour has been. Full gas, so exciting has, from the yes. go, like all the first week. And um, yeah, we've had some, like, <laughs> the, <laughs> I was getting really excited because there was a guy, an Australian guy for um, Team Bike Exchange that was about to win a stage. And he literally lost it by the width of your front tire. He lives upstairs from me. So I was like, I'm, he's in the building. <laughs> like, I'm getting all excited. <laughs> it's cool. Like when you start seeing like, you've seen the athletes around Girona riding and stuff. Right, and you're like, oh right. my God, that's like so-and-so. And they just were having coffee the other day. Um, so, they're yeah. like regular people. They're like regular people. people. Yeah. So, so weird. Funny. Yeah. So yeah. Lots so, but we will be watching back to triathlon after this yes. week. Back to only watching triathlon. Yes. Well, time. maybe maybe a bit of yes. the Tour de Femme because I think that'll be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we got to support the women. <laughs> All right. Good luck packing and making it there. Fingers crossed on the bike. Yes. And praying, crossing everything, yes. taking deep breaths. It'll be what it'll be. <laughs> and then, like, hoping that in transit, I also find some speed because that would be handy for a short yeah. distance race. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> 
Whatever. Mid distance. <laughs> Don't forget, tens of thousands of cyclists have chosen the Karoo 2 as their trusted riding companion. It was named Bicycling Magazine's editor's choice in GPS cycling computers for the past two years. And now, Hammerhead is giving Triathlete Hour listeners an exclusive limited time offer. Get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR at checkout to get yours today. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Carew 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart, and use promo code TRIATHLETEHOUR. All one word. All right, this week we're talking to Jill Colangelo, who is a mental health researcher, former triathlete, ultra runner, and you're in Italy. And so first off, before we get started, I want to know, what are you doing these days for training in Italy besides admiring the mountains? <laughs> yeah, um, so I do, well, when I don't have COVID, which is right now. Um, so <laughs> I do a lot of swimming still. So I'm either in a pool or I'm in the ocean because I live I live on the ocean. Okay. Um, and I am doing a lot of hiking these days. I have a labral tear that is pretty nasty. Um, and so I have a lot of issues with that. So I'm doing a lot of hiking. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to, trying to you know, fight, stem the tide of, of mid-40s. Stem the tide of mid-40s. <laughs> all right. Since we're going to talk all about like mental health and everything, I want to, is hiking better for your mental health? Is that like, is it? You know, okay, so any any activity has, you know, certain benefits for mental health for sure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but for me, I, what I really enjoy about it is, um, and, and this is funny, when I was ultra runner, I thought that only, you know, ultra running, uh, running long distances was the thing that keeping me, um, my mental health in check. But what I, what I realized over the years of not being able to train as much is that it's actually being outside um, really does it for me and just kind of getting air and being able to walk. Um, and so it's listening to a podcast or, um, you know, a book while I'm walking and kind of like actually working on my own writing sort of in the background. Um, and that really does it for me. It's the combination of being outside and movement. And we will be talking about <laughs> that, that and how that movement contributes to my mental health personally. But I would say whatever makes you happiest, it might not be what you think, but it uh -huh. is no, no less valid. So yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about how you got in. You've been, we've been running a bunch of articles that you've been doing about mental health, about endurance athletes, and mental health. Lately, we've been talking about neurodiversity. But I want to talk about you got into this whole field because you yourself were like a typical triathlete turned ultra runner, overtrained, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Really bad. So yeah. <laughs> I started off as a triathlete. Um, actually, no, I started off as a runner, obviously. And then got into triathlon. It was something um, I will I will fully admit that it was my post divorce. Like this is what I want to do with my life, okay. you know. And I really became um, obsessed with it. Shocker, um, as as many of us do. And I really looked forward to the structure of the training. It really helped me kind of get through that uh, kind of awful moment in life. And I was living in Puerto Rico at the time, so you know, training in Puerto Rico is not bad. I will tell you, like. <laughs> outdoor pool, you know, uh, 12 months out of the year and, and, and training and stuff is really great. And then when I kind of uh, got broken down from too much training, I did what a lot of people do, which is just, you know, change, change the venue, which okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, I herniated some discs in my back because I was like, my arrow position was really bad for a while. And I was really having a lot of back issues. So I was like, well, I know I'll just, I'll just beat the crap out of myself on the trails. Right, now. I'll just that's, run. That's gotta be yeah. 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 Um, and so I transitioned into into running long, 
Um, yeah. So, but it, at the tail end of those things is when I became uh, really dramatically overtrained. I just, uh, and you know, the ins and outs of that are, are, are boring, but familiar to probably everyone, which is that I just loved it too much, did too much of it, didn't ever want to stop um, and got myself massively overtrained. And um, which led me on this quest to understand, like, how does this happen? Mm. And I very quickly understood that, yes, obviously there's a ton of physiology and we could you know, talk all about the physiology behind why this happens, you know, having to do with the endocrine system and et cetera, et cetera. But fundamentally, this was a mental health question. It was like, what was what story was I telling myself that led me to suspend my disbelief in such a way that I led myself down this path of destruction? Like you mean you saw the signs, but you ignored the signs. And why? <laughs> why? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the demographics of uh-huh. people who are in endurance sports, like we are typically well-educated people who are, you know, not stupid enough to realize that when you lose your period, you know, or when you are deeply depressed or when you can't go to the bathroom or like if you're a man, if you cannot get an erection, like we kind of know that these are bad things. Like we're not stupid. <laughs> no, we're not stupid people. But yet um, we very much are willing to ignore those very, very, very visceral red flag signals Hmm. that something is wrong with us um, in service of something else. And that question kind of led me on a, on a, on a path to really try to understand like, why would I do this? Why would I do this to myself in service of something? Like what was going on? What was the mechanism going on behind that? So when you say you were over, like, I've heard crazy overtraining stories and I've heard like lower, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Some some of those things you just said like might happen for a month or two months if you're, you know, super peaked for so but then they then they resolve themselves. Where were you at in this? Like how what how did you know it was like really bad? Yeah. So I always answer this question. I, I work with athletes who <laughs> I work with athletes, you know, on a sort of a mentorship basis, you know, and, and talk to them about their symptoms and what kind of makes you understand the difference between overreaching and overtraining. And this is dramatic, but it'll stick in your head, Okay, which is that if you, if you think you're overtrained, you're probably not. (laughs) If you think you're dying, you're probably overtrained. So what I mean by that is that um, overtraining doesn't feel like overtraining. It feels like you are very sick and you may have cancer or like you don't, you start Googling, like, why am I having night sweats? You know, is it Addison's disease? Like, what is happening here? I have Lou Gehrig's, I have something, you know, like you think you have MS. Like you think something is dramatically wrong with you because you all of a sudden at the tail end of that sort of arc of symptoms, you are now encountering some stuff that feels really scary. And you're saying to yourself, this can't possibly come from moving my body too much. This is against everything I've been told. This is a healthy thing that I'm doing. So these symptoms that I'm experiencing must be due to something way more sinister. I know what you're talking about. I definitely have had people be like, what if it's Lyme disease? What if yes. like I have cancer? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're so, saying. So, yeah. so you were at that point. Yes, very much so. And um, yeah, I, and it was, it was real steady. It was like, um, I would get kind of messed up after, you know, let's say a hundred K and then it was a hundred, then it was like a 50 mile and then it was a you know, 50 K and then it was a marathon and then half marathon. And then all the way down to like, I couldn't run more than like, I couldn't run. It was like three miles was Hmm. throwing me into this like massive symptom uh, place where I just really couldn't even function. It was, it was really painful, terrible, horrible in in so many different ways. So um, yeah, I was there definitely. All right. So you went back to school to get your master's. Yes. Is that, but like overtraining isn't a degree that one can get. No. (laughs) 
No, exactly. Exactly. So that goes back to that whole thing of like, okay, well, what am I, what am I trying to do here? Like, mm-hmm. what am I, what am I trying to do? And um, before I went back to school, you know, I did a lot of uh, trying to understand how to look at this question. And I was like, I need to do something about this. And, um, you know, I've sort of mentioned this before, but, you know, obviously the first thing anyone thinks of is, oh, I need to go be a doctor. Right. Okay. And like, my brother's a doctor, you know, my sister-in-law's a doctor. I, I kind of know what that's all about. And that's not what this is because that's something taking you down a path that is, is quite different. And by the, by the time you get out of that, um, the, the question still remains like, I understand the physiology and, and truth be told, the physiology is not difficult to understand if people are willing to open their mind and realize that this is the thing that can happen. Um, but uh, it was more about that psychological question of how, I could get to that mm-hmm. physiological breakdown point. So for me, it was, I need to go, I have a, my, my bachelor's degree was in psychology. And I said to myself, all right, I got a, this is a psychological question. And so what I did was decide to go back and get a master's in psychology. And through the entire process of school from like my first class all the way to my thesis, I knew the question I wanted mm-hmm. to study. Like I absolutely knew what I wanted to study and I took classes that enabled me to hack at that question little by little Hmm. and all of the like, uh, like research papers or any kind of presentations I had to do always would center around this, this particular issue. Um, and along the way I met professors who had sort of never heard of this concept before of someone doing too much exercise and et cetera, et cetera. So I was able to look at it from, um, you know, a neurological perspective, from a hormonal perspective, from behavioral perspective, emotions. I even looked in trauma and PTS theories of all kinds of, sorry, PTSD and, and uh, you know, mental illness across a wide spectrum to see how I could answer this question. And that's, that's really what, what led me through it. And I guess, I mean, obviously I'm going to say, what was the answer? Yeah. So <laughs> the answer culminated in my thesis, which, and you know, it's like when you write a thesis, it's, if, if you're, kind of uh, really geeked out on your topic, which I really was. Um, it, it, it's like you want to ask all the questions, you know what I mean? And But there was no previous research on this this question that I wanted to ask before, which, which had to do with mental illness in ultra-endurance athletes. There was stuff on elites, there was stuff mm-hmm. on college students, but that's not, it's not the same demographic, it's not the same group. So um, I, I had to ask a very broad question, you know, so that I could kind of start the discussion. It was like, I had 8 million things I wanted to change. And so I wanted to go down, but essentially you have to ask the question, is there, or is there not more mental illness in this population of ultra endurance? Athletes? Uh, okay. Okay. So, and then the answer is, and, and but I was gifted, I have to say, because science is magic. I was gifted with some really interesting extra sort of data points, which is that, um, so first, yes, there is more mental illness in ultra endurance athletes. The second part of this is that um, there is a dose response. So when I looked at people across the spectrum of a uh, number of hours that they were uh, exercising per week, and I had ultra endurance athletes of all kinds, mm-hmm. you know, athletes, ultra, you name it, everything. I had a kayaker. I mean, I had people doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and uh, so, you know, nine hours a week and, and under, and then it was like under 20, or, or I should say 10, between 10 and 20 hours a week. And then people who were training over 20 hours a week, it was extremely linear. You could see that there was more mental illness, more prevalence of mental illness, more experience of mental illness, more risk for mental illness, hmm. the more hours per week that someone was training. Is it, uh, well, I'm gonna, is it causal or is it, you know what I mean? Like, which is causing which? Like, is the mental yeah. illness already there? So they're training a lot or is it like, which, 
Well, it's a, it's a great question, and I hope that we're able to answer that someday. I think that, um, you know, theories abound for both sides of that. I think that, um, you know, so, so now if I take my scientist hat off for a second mm-hmm. and just tell you anecdotally, <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do believe that there are personality traits that we share. Right. Um, and uh, there are things about us, our histories and our pasts that sort of make this type of activity compelling for us. I think that um, there's certain characteristics that we share that make this activity like there, it, it like scratches an itch for a certain group of people. Got it. So, so that, but also, you know, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that um, this type of activity in extreme amounts, you know, does have uh, implications on, you know, uh, all kinds of brain chemicals. And I don't want to use the word addiction because we're like, oh, that's, you know, substance addiction, but mm-hmm. substance addiction, addictions and process addictions when we look at them neurologically, they start to really look like each other. Behaviorally, they really look like each other. So that's when you have like, you know, tolerance and salience and withdrawal and all these things where right. you are really trying to, um, you are, you're having a relationship with this thing in your life in a way that is making you uh, compelled to keep doing it. Um, and so I think, and again, that is a, that is the dime store explanation of your question. Co- you know, correlation does not prove causation. I would never, ever say that if you exercise too much, you're going to be mentally ill. There's that is not, no, that is not, <laughs> not science people. Um, no, but I will say though, that um, there is an endless amount of research that can be done to answer this question and great and plenty of great theories and starting points to start from. And I just hope that more people will get up in it because we need more awareness on this topic. in this. Population. So there's both like, obviously character traits, Things that we, I think we all know that like drive people then to be a little uh, type A, a little triathlete, as yeah. we say, a little compulsive yeah. and like go yeah. and, and take themselves to play. But then you're also obviously saying that there's also a point at which, you know, maybe you're not getting the same whatever. Endorphin high would be the simple way of explaining, but like the, you're not getting the same benefit at 10 hours. So you go to 15, so you go to 20, so you go to 25. And so you're kind of see both those there. Yeah. There is, okay. there is certainly, uh, you know, there, this distance is long enough for, for me, said no endurance athlete ever. Right. Like right. I'm good with a 5K. Like I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> you know, like, so just the nature of the sport that you're constantly adding and adding and adding. Um, again, whether in, in any endurance sport, the idea is to go longer and longer. Um, you know, the pinnacle of of triathlon is not the sprint triathlon. That might be the bread and butter. Well, it that could be, be, right? Listen, I I not I'm actually it's funny because I'm writing an article right now about that for the magazine um, about the idea that, you know, you do not have to do Ironman to be considered a triathlete. And you certainly do not have to be in pain all of the time to have an experience as an athlete. Like that is, those two things are mutually exclusive. And it's, it it is sad that our culture really does not seem to have a spectrum when it comes to like, there's no gray area. It's like either you are Ironman or you are just like a a riding couch, you know, and that's not, I mean, you obviously, know? like, we spent a lot of time discussing that because that's, like, something that needs to be... I mean, like, bit crazy. I think one of the best triathletes in the world right now is Flora Duffy. Like, I don't think she's ever done longer than a four-hour race, right? And she, like, owned a 50-minute race. Like, she's a triathlete. She doesn't need Absolutely. to do an Ironman. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I think this mindset is way more prevalent in the kind of amateur... Right, right, right ...beginner right. kind of thing. I'll, I'll own that. I know that when I was a beginner triathlete, I was like, you know, you just, it's all about like, how can I get up to Ironman? You know, how can I go sure. longer and, and do more? Because like, it's just, it's kind of stuck in your head that way. Um, so I, you know, I, I totally understand that perspective. However, 
I do think that the built-in component of, of endurance sport uh, makes it so that you don't realize that the amount of activity that you're adding is having hmm. neurological, like I said, hormonal implications. So like there's this place where, you know, and, and, you know I've talked about this sometimes before, there's, there's actually a curved relationship between health and sport. We think it's linear that you just, you know, no limits, keep going. Oh my God, no, no, no rest days, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's like more is always better, but there's really a point after which you start to have a decline in mental and physical health. Um, and we don't talk about that enough. And if we are able to sort of understand that uh, place and recognize that that is means like you do have limits, like that whole mm -hmm. no limits thing is really for me, an ignorant place to be because if you know where your limits are, you can do a really good job at not banging into them. Um, and I wish these are things I wish I knew, you know, years ago. Interesting. Yeah. So what do you, so when you say, you know, obviously, and obviously I, I always feel like we have to talk, like these are general things, right? Like not like right. everyone. No. Right. No, I, 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 <laughs> I will say everyone does have a curved relationship with sport. Sure. Yeah. That's like. Curve really. is and where mm -hmm. somebody else's is, is going to vary greatly. Like some people can really handle really insane amounts of, of activity, of intensity and, and, uh, and, and volume and all this stuff. And some people really don't. And, and so holding true to that for whatever is right for you is the important place to be. It does not, the comparison is, is useless. So yeah, totally your, you are your N of one, like you are your experiment of yourself. So what I was going to say, so putting that, doing the caveat that everything's, you know, individual and like, like I'm not a super type A, but like I could probably seem to be more type A, but like, if that's all true, then what are the things that you found, generally speaking, athletes can do to avoid, you know, this like mental health overtraining trap? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, again, this, this is a difficult conversation to have with people because it really rankles some of their mm -hmm. very deep held values that they've been clinging to in order to like keep this kind of lifestyle up. Um, and it really, it requires people to have a very hard conversation with themselves <laughs> about their goals and who they think they are in this world. Um, okay. Many times, and I've, I've yeah, again written a piece for for triathlete about um, athlete identity, and and there's a lot that plays into this in the sense of if you feel that this is your 100% identity and this is everything good about you, um, you're going to have a difficult time moderating your relationship with this sport because it is going to be a touchstone for you. It is going to be mm -hmm. what you need to kind of progress through your life and feel good about who you are and where you are. Um, and I say this, yes, as a person who researches this thing and has done this research and, and, and spoken to many people who are, uh, you know, way smarter than I'll ever be about these topics, but also because I was an idiot standing on a beach, like before a half iron and, and turned around and looked at my brother and said, I can't, I'm, I'm admitting this fully that I turned around and said to my brother, I, I am right now. I feel like everything I've ever wanted to be. Oh God, I, like that is the, no, that's not, no, because I, no one is, no one is one thing. You know, we are multifaceted people and uh, we change and grow. Our relationship with sport changes and grows. Our relationship with ourselves changes and grows. And our value does is not contained by one thing, even though it feels like you're spending 90% of your time uh, training for triathlon. Mm -hmm. That's not where all of your value lies. You have value as a person in many things. And if you can recognize that, if you can realize your purpose in life and hold true to that, your chances of, are, of abusing your relationship with this one thing are much less. So that's where I would say the question starts okay. is, who are you in this world? Who do you want to be? And like, also, I hate to say it, but 
what is your contingency plan? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's got to be something else. And, and uh, we, we're not going to be young and healthy forever. We hope that we are. But, you know, who are you if you can't do this? That's really where the heart of it lies. You need to understand that and you need to be comfortable with that. Um, you know, and if we look at this scientifically, just quickly, quickly, I will tell you that the people who abuse sport the most are people who are have body image issues and, and eating issues. And that is, uh, you know, in my research, it was found that the most uh, at risk population for eating issues uh, were meant undiagnosed, untreated, uh, unaware of what uh, disordered eating and eating disorders look like specifically in a non-female or I should say a non-woman population. Um, as we see it, as we think of it as like the skinny runner girl ballet dancer, like, no, that's a very s small percentage of the people who are affected by that. And you can see it time and time again in the research that when people are compromising nutrition in service of um, body image and mm. weight and body composition, it, it leads to injury and overtraining in, in, in many cases. And, you know, that research is out there for anyone who wants to find it. So interesting. Okay. And so those people, so that's the, the, the biggest correlation you're saying kind of. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And also probably don't spend 90% of your time ever training for triathlon. I mean, again, it's like just in I, general, like you have a lot of time. It's probably yeah, not great. I, yeah. and I understand that because I was that person, you know, I was that single person with, you know, disposable income who had time mm -hmm. and lived in a place where everyone's doing triathlon and it becomes your social life and your mm -hmm. structure and everything that you really want to do. And it really feels good to do it. Let's not, you know, let's not, lie about it. It really does feel good to do it. And it feels good to be a part of that. And it feels like a great sense of accomplishment. Um, but yeah, doing anything uh, too much, no matter what it is, and we accept this for everything else. And I've, I've talked about this before, too. But we accept this kind of concept for everything else in life. Like, we understand like with water and sunlight and food and you know, <laughs> everything, right? Like, some water is great, too much is hyponatremia. Like, we get that, right? But we, we do not accept that when it comes to sport, because and there's cultural reasons behind that, right? So we have to really have, a, this is what I'm saying, like how to avoid overtraining, like get a mirror and look hard into it. That's how you avoid it. Seriously. It's like, if you're unwilling to understand the basics of like, you know, physics, you know, like you cannot have too much of any one thing or you're going to make yourself sick or you're going to die. Like it's the same thing with sport. It's just really fancy to feel like you can do it all the time though, isn't it? That, <laughs> right? Feels good. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting question. Cause obviously, uh, I mean, we have this conversation all the time with like our readers and, and our listeners here and it's like, you know, a vast majority, like triathlons, just like, I would say the vast majority triathlons, just like a healthy addition gets them outside. Yeah. Like most of you are probably skipping workouts that you shouldn't be skipping. Let's be real. But like, and that's fine, but that's fine. Like that's fine for your life. It's good. So then, but then obviously there's a subset. So it's always like, which it's not everyone, but then no. it is some people, but then it is prevalent. So you're like, what are we talking? It's like hard to, you know, yeah, pin down. it is difficult to sort of tease out, but it's yeah. like, I think truly, and I, you know, I, I think that the more we talk about the options, mm -hmm. you know, we, we talk about the spectrum of health in something that see, like we think of sport as hundred percent healthy. That's just right. not the no. truth. There's like healthy and then there's unhealthy. And so the more we can talk about the options, the more people can hopefully recognize themselves in some of those options, you know, and decide um, what you want to do, right? And decide what you want to do. That's what it's all about. My, my big thing is like, never say no, that can't be me because <laughs> you just never know. You just never know. You know, it's like, I would rather kind of ask myself these questions and, and confirm that I am not in a, in a danger zone than to never think about it at all. And then just like smack my face into a brick wall. 
you know, like, which I did. So, I mean, which you did. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that you uh, aren't super fast, but we've also learned that overtraining can happen to people who aren't elite athletes who aren't training like 40 hours, right? It can happen at different, because as you said, it's like an end of one. It really depends on the person. Yeah. So. At my best, I was like a, you know, a, a mid packer, basically, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not talking... I was not setting any land speed <laughs> records, all right? But like I just loved it so much. And right. I think that is the that is sort of a blind spot in triathlon is to think that um only these bad things can happen. And I say bad meaning like medically bad, um can happen to people who are elite athletes. That's absolutely right. not true. You can overtrain at any level. Um everyone's bodies are different, everyone's endocrine system can can stand um a certain amount and uh, it really, it really is not a sign of success when you start experiencing those symptoms. Like you're not doing it right. That's not. And I say that because again, sometimes people get, they get enamored by the, the idea of, uh, like their body acting like an, an elite's body would. Right. It's like, yeah, they have a whole support system of people to help them avoid this. So don't be excited when you start feeling it, you know? Yeah. That's weird. That's yeah. true. And then, and so you, this is where you started with your research was on endurance sports and mental health. You've done a lot of different uh, subtopics, like you said, all the questions on mental health. And now more recently, you've been getting more and more, and we've been publishing some of your stories, uh, interested in neurodiversity, right? Yeah. Which yeah. I feel like we have to define, like yeah. explain, because that's a more recent term, neurodiversity. I feel like, yeah. how would you, it, it, it means like all the different ways people bra people's brains work, but like, how would you explain yeah. what neurodiversity is? Well, first I will say that the reason why I kind of, um, I got into this is because I sort of noticed this like pattern of behavior, um, which is that uh, there's a, a certain group of people out there for whom the, the regular like rules and regulations of how we train, you know, even down to the products that we use, the technology that we use, the way we sort of approach training, it doesn't really work for them. Um, hmm. okay. And then I started to think a lot about uh, like movement, right? And so as we talked about before, you asked the question, like what makes your mental health work? And so we start, I started to kind of go down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out like this movement thing, like what's happening here, um, it, coinciding with my own diagnosis with autism um, in January of this year. Um, and so I will, I will start to say that, uh, again, this was a question that started to arise from my own experience, but also <laughs> because I didn't find anything out there that seemed to have much information mm -hmm. um, on this topic. And I felt as though that um, it kind of, I wanted to look at it a little bit more. So that, that's kind of how it started. Um, so I want to just start by saying that I am no expert. Like I am <laughs> very recently diagnosed and I'm going to talk about this. In the, in the sorry, I start sneezing. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this in the way that I know how to, which is uh, not from a from a place of authority. What I am here is a is a is a reporter, let's say, because I spoke mm -hmm. to a lot of different people um, in the same category that I'm in, and um, the information that I have to share is based on some really great information that are some really generous people really wanted to share because they felt as though there needed to be more discussion on this topic. So I will say that neurodiversity is the way that we talk about any beautiful people out there whose brains are not like what we think of as textbook typical. Um, okay. So we would say neurotypical, neurodiverse. And under the umbrella of neurodiversity, you can find all kinds of things like autism, um, ADD, ADHD, even things like um, uh, 
dyslexia. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things um, that constitute neurodiversity. Even some people will even add in there um, all kind, you know, all kinds of things having to do with with um, just just basically not seeing the world as everyone else does. Okay. And so, for the purposes of the work that that I've done here, is I've looked at people who are um, autistic, like me, and other people who and, and autism and ADHD, ADD kind of overlap. And I started to see that there was a lot of people like me um, and a lot of people in the ADHD community and a lot of people in the autistic community um, who who have these sort of traits that overlap. And there's a lot of them in endurance sport for really incredible reasons, which uncovered through this research, I'm starting, you know, we're starting to sort of get a better handle on, which is that um, there's something about the movement um, there's something about the, uh, structure of the training and there's something about, uh, moving your body in a, you know, for a certain period of time during a day that really feels, feels good and feels comfortable, um, for people in this community. Um, and I will say, by the way, just so people are aware when we talk about autism, you know, it's autism is a spectrum. Um, it's not a linear spectrum. Um, I hope that people do realize that by now it is really not a linear spectrum. We do not talk about high functioning versus low functioning. That terminology is dated. Um, and we also don't use the term Asperger's anymore because, uh, no. apparently that guy's a Nazi. So like, yeah, we're, oh, okay. All right, we're moving on. Yeah, we're moving on from that. So, you know, that's ASD one through five. Um, and, and, and so the people that I spoke to, um, are in that sort of what I just described so that, you know, autistic ADHD kind of block as athletes. Okay. And so we don't, I mean, when you say a spectrum, what you're saying is that like people's idea of someone who is autistic, like Mm -hmm. that certainly is in that spectrum, but that's not everybody by any means. There are people who fall much, much on the different end of the spectrum. So what are some, what like are some things that, you know? Yeah. So actually, it, there's some really great graphics out there in the world, and I sort mm-hmm. of wish that this was like a visual podcast, but like the spectrum <laughs> that we talk about is actually a circle. And okay. if you think of a circle with uh, like all gradients of the rainbow in it, and each color of the rainbow represents a trait, let's say, or an ability or something, um, you know, it could be something like, um, you know, social skills or sensory issues, or it could be, you know... Um, uh, just kind of, um, it could, could really be anything that has to do with, you know, uh, uh, someone's, um, auditory processing, um, their attention, their memory, all these different things. And let's say that the part of the, those colors are, are lighter in color and part of those colors are darker in color. And so a person who is on the spectrum could have all different gradients of all of those different things. Um, meaning that their sort of unique expression of autism, because everybody's different, is going to have different gradations in their mm. sort of traits and abilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so everyone is different. No two people are going to experience it the same. There are some things that we share in common. <laughs> and through the process of this research and talking to other people like me, you know, I definitely can see that, you know, there's <laughs> stuff we share in common and probably some things that you might notice because if you've been in this community long enough, I'm sure, you know, um, You've come across someone who who sounds a whole lot like we do, um, and and of course that and that goes down another rabbit hole, which is that you know adults and women in particular are very underdiagnosed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was born in 1976, and if you think anyone in 1982 knew what the heck autism was, 
they probably if they did, they would think it was a boy thing, um, you know. And so there's lots of girls like me running around out there that got tested for, you know, gifted student program, whatever, and had all these weird quirks and I don't know, something just didn't seem right. And then, you know, you kind of grow up as an adult and it leads to all, all these different um, sort of things that we share in common traits, let's say. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to, um, it's very difficult to blame anybody back then. Cause we didn't know, you know, but now we hope we, we have better, uh, better understanding of, of what autism looks like or doesn't look like. So that's exactly what you're saying, which is that if you are watching like the TV show on Netflix or whatever, like if you're watching atypical or love on the spectrum or any of these shows, like, I don't know. I mean, yes, those that that's one side of, of autism, but I talked to many people who were like, I didn't think I was autistic because I thought that it was that. Hmm. And they didn't realize that, you know, it's very different in everyone. And that just because the, you know, I had one person say to me um, that, you know, he's like, it's not Hollywood autism. I didn't recognize myself because it wasn't Hollywood autism, you know? So I think that um, there's a lot of undiagnosed people out there, which is what are some of the traits? I mean, I'm not, I'm not like trying to oversimplify here, but like, what are some of the traits though? Then, yeah. like, what are? Well, um, you know, women and men are very different. Or I should say, you know, depending on what gender you are, you're going to express things differently. Like I say, I tried to explain this to. <laughs> this is hilarious, you know, because when you when you get diagnosed, at, I was 45 when I got diagnosed, and it's like, oh boy, you know, not. It's like it's it's. Then you have to explain to your boomer parents. Like, <laughs> no, you didn't do anything wrong, guys. It's all right, you know. But like, it's like you try to understand, like, what are these things that sort of set set people apart? And I will say that for, again, for the purposes of this article, you know, when you have people who are ADHD and autism, there's like, if you think about it as a Venn diagram, okay, there's stuff that's kind of ADHD specific and there's stuff that's autistic specific. And then there's a lot of overlap. So some okay. of those overlap things could be like having sensory issues. Um, and so sensory issues mean like fabrics, uh, sounds, uh, okay. you know, temperature, um, like clothing, textures, food, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, hyperfixation on certain things. So being really, really dialed into something when you work, um, you know, OCD tendencies, you know, some, some auditory processing stuff. For example, like if there's music playing in the background and someone tries to talk to me, like that conversation is not happening. Like, right. Yeah. Um, you might interrupt people. Uh, there's executive dysfunction stuff. And this is like, <laughs> It's it's very interesting that, you know, I get at my age, I have learned to kind of work around these things, but like, it is very difficult for me to get to a task to do. Like, if I have to do something, it's very difficult for me to, to motivate to do that task. Um, there's emotion stuff, there's some impulsivity there, rejection sensitivity, which is like, really having a hard time being criticized or dealing with rejection. Um, insomnia, there's repetitive thoughts. Um, and there's like some social anxiety stuff. Autistic people are really like very, and again, these are all generalizations. Remember, yeah, yeah. you just asked for the list. So autistic people are typically very rigid with their schedule. They're very stick to like routines and stuff. I mean, I, you could set your watch by my day. Like I eat the same stuff every day. I do the, like my schedules, like, you know, have a hard time like derailing myself from that. Um, communication is tough sometimes. Social rules, mm, a little difficult. Um yeah. Um, if you look at my resume, like my job resume, it looks like a crime scene. Like, yeah, because I just, you know, I had kind of it just was hard for me to be in an office. And, you know, I think I, I, I think I interrupted a meeting once it said that some, something someone said was for shit, I think once. So, yeah, probably not a great place for me. Um, 
then, you know, uh, ADHD people obviously have issues with attention and memory, time blindness and, and um, you know, risk behavior and stuff like that. So this is a big kind of right. stuff. But um, and again, there's so much even in each of those things. But those are kind of generally speaking what you can expect. Um, seen as and why does that sort of I mean, so you're saying we see a number of those people in triathlon yeah. and endurance sports. Yeah. And, uh, and again, like again, again, we're not talking about like 70 percent. We're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still twenty percent, whatever, ten cool. percent. Cool. But um, why do we see why do we see a disproportionate number? Yeah, so I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure if the numbers are disproportionate, but I do know that there's a lot of people, um, okay. it, neurodiverse people in in endurance sports, but specifically triathlon. Why? Um, honestly, one of the people that I spoke to in the article, her name's Medi Harrison. She is an all American triathlete. Um, also diagnosed um, as an older person, kids, family, like whatever. Um, and she is like the poster child for this um, because there is, there is, if you put someone in our population, and again, I'm a, a generalization here, so please, I don't want anyone to think I'm being like general. This is not everyone, but like Medi is autistic um, and she and I had this conversation. It's like, if you put us on a task, there, we're not going to stop. Like also um, another person I spoke to, Lucy Haynes, another, another um, endurance athlete. She's a, a climber and ultra marathoner. Like she is a person who got a coach, not because she needs to mo- be motivated to do more, but because she needs to be given boundaries. Um, we don't have an off switch and mm-hmm. we really like repetition schedules. And this physical activity feels really good for us, like a stim. So a stim, for anyone who's not really super familiar with that terminology, is kind of like an activity or a behavior that you do repetitively that kind of gives you like a good feeling, right? So it could be anything from like, sometimes you see people play with like fidget spinners and stuff like that. That's right, classic, right, right. okay. But then some of the other ones are like playing with your hair, picking your nails, right? Or yes, running, walking, moving your body, um, repetitively swimming, biking, anything like that. It's kind of doing something for you that is making you feel very focused and very full. So a lot of people talked about a lack of focus, um, in their, uh, in how they engage with the world, you know, with this kind of executive dysfunction issue and some of the attention and memory and time blindness stuff. And that being able to do this physical activity helps them to stay focused in a way that they don't get anywhere else. Like, most people, you know, for example, I'm, I'm a little ADHD and, and autistic. <laughs> Yay, jackpot. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes it's like if I'm, if I'm doing a task and I'm not completely absorbed in it, I'm kind of like thinking of 10 million things. But if I am walking in this case or running or swimming or whatever, it's like I know that like I'm focused on that completely and I can block everything out. And it is a really good place for me to be because my brain is working like – it is mm-hmm. revving at a million RPMs all day long. So like this physical movement really helps to block out a lot of stuff and helps me just focus on one thing. So because people are very good at all of these things, like keeping a schedule, like being motivated to train, like not having an off switch, like knowing how to keep going and knowing how to make the training work for them, they mm-hmm. tend to be unstoppable once you get them on once you get them on a race, it, like really, <laughs> once you focus them, yeah, yeah. they get tend to be unstoppable and just have and and of course with that, like we talked about the curve, right? We talked about the curve. Same thing with this population, and that's yeah. what makes it extremely difficult. Which is that um, we do need boundaries. We do need to be held back in a lot of cases. Um, you know, 
Mehdi has struggled with even interpersonal relationships um, by just not being able to back off from doing a lot of training or doing a lot of races. Um, we have very difficult relationships with things like Strava and training peaks and, you know, my goodness. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of people yeah. have a difficult yeah. relationship with those for things. Sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, you know, some, some people that I spoke to, you know, started using my fitness pal because a coach told them to track their calories and, and, mm. and before them went after that, a 15 year relationship with literally not being able to track a calorie or not being able to eat without tracking calories, including having to go hmm. to restaurants where calorie counts were listed. And I know that it sounds like some OCD stuff, but it's not. This is this is what autism does. So, hmm. um, I mean, yes, there are you know, there's overlap there, as I said before. Right, right, right. But um, you know, there are there are some people who kind of like uh, will never DNF, you know, ever, ever, ever for any reason. Right, sure. There's a very I high, know people like that. Yeah, high pain tolerance, inability to really understand if you're hungry or thirsty or tired. I've had a lot of people talk about me. Like we wish there were more alarms on the watches so that it can remind me to eat or remind me to drink because I hmm. can't remember. So there's like a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of caveats. Um, there are a lot of places where, um, the, like I said, the current sort of like training vibe, like if you're going to work with a coach and a coach is going to sort of pad your mileage because they think you're going to skip workouts. Yeah. Not a good idea with someone in this community. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. yeah. And also, I totally know that that thing. Yeah, it's not <laughs> going to work. That's going to be very bad. You're going to get your athletes going to be injured. Um, you know, and it, it, these types of things are really important to sort of consider. And the article that I think it's coming out this week, uh, which talks about training and racing, um, down to very specific details about like clothing, about like hmm. do not put a drawstring on the inside of my shorts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what are you talking about right now? Why is there a tag? In any shirt ever. Please don't do that. Well, that's it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so um, the athletes were so generous and so clear about the very specific things. Things about like hydration, like hmm. packs, like where to put the bottles, like between the arrow bars, yes. On the saddle, no. Vice versa, you know, like even running packs, you know, like I need to have the bottles in the front, I need to have them in the back, nothing on my waist, you know. Um, and very specific things about coaching in terms of like, please do not put me on like, don't ask for my data. Like I'm not, if I engage with training picks or Strava, like I'm gonna not sleep. Like, please don't do that to me. Um, you know, and, and having people understand that, like, for example, I have uh, uh, the communication stuff can be difficult too. athletes that I spoke to that said things like, um, I don't communicate with my coach as much as I should, because I'm afraid I'm being a pain. And so out of all of these things, like all the different mental health stuff that you've studied over the last 10, 15, what are kind of the most common ones you see most common issues you see? Well, so I guess in this case, you know, just to, just to be clear too, that um, you know, the question about neurodiversity uh, is is certainly not a mental health issue in the mm -hmm. sense that yes, there are mental health issues that speak to that population. Um, it is something, but it in and of itself is not. No, so I mean, you know, definitely anxiety is is an issue in in this population for sure, and you know, but if we're if we're gonna jump back to the research and and what is the most what is the most um, compelling, I guess, issue of mental health in endurance sport. I mean, I, I think, I think it's this stereotype that all sport is healthy in all ways. Mm -hmm. And that, um, tends to sort of paint people in a corner and it also makes people feel very isolated because when people do start to feel a certain way, um, about their lives or they're not getting that same fulfillment out of the sport, the sport is no longer kind of giving them the juice that they need. 
you know, that can be very isolating because you're trying to figure out like, why am I having this experience when everyone seems around me is not, you know? Um, and so it's really an awareness thing that I would really love for people to understand is that uh, balance is important. Moderation is important in the sense of uh, everybody hates that word. I hated it too when I was an athlete. So most people just turn the podcast off right now. But like, I, well, just that honesty with yourself is really the place to start because um, you are not alone. There are many people out there who are uh, feeling depression, feeling anxiety, feeling um, just not mentally happy, even though they are doing this sport and they will try to do more of it to get that feeling and then become very disconcerted, very disappointed when they're not getting it's not feeling better. It's starting to feel worse. And that is scary for people because it's like, well, who mm -hmm. am I? What am I? This thing that I put so much of my faith and my stock and my life into um, is not not helping me anymore. And that's why the awareness piece is super important because um, you are not the only person having uh, difficult thoughts. You're not the only person who is doing this sport because it is helping you manage a trauma from your past. I can promise you that. I can promise you that from personal experience and also from like dozens of people that I have spoken to. There are plenty of people who are working through grief and pain and, and, and trauma, and this is their way to do it. And they say, I would rather be doing this than like drinking or gambling or whatever. Sure. And, yeah. and, and fine, you know, and I'm not here to judge any of that at all. I just think that it's really important that we understand that um, sport is not therapy. You know, therapy is therapy. Sport is right. great as an adjunct. It's going to be a wonderful thing in your life that makes you feel good but it is not your therapy. There are uh, professional people and professional substances out there that can help you in a way that this sport cannot. Um, and that is, uh, that's an important thing to know. And again, that, that's the other half of the people that just turned off, but uh, <laughs> it is, um, it is really important that we do this because if you love the sport and you want to continue doing it long-term at some point, you may, have to have that kind of come to Jesus moment about like, all right, I got to moderate my relationship with this thing or else I'm going to, it's going to end, you know? So you don't want to get mm. there. You don't want to go there. You really just want to be um, as clear with yourself as possible. And, and, um, and, and, and like I said, and, and to the extent that we can share with each other right now, there is no, there is no mental health set up specifically for triathletes or for, you know, people who are endurance athletes. There's nothing out there that's like a support group for um, endurance athletes that might be feeling feeling um the way that 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 you're feeling there's nothing out there there's not even anything in the in the current diagnostic and statistical manual for psychology that enumerates um sport addiction or, or uh, exercise hmm. dependence as an addiction it's not there so um in in lieu of that uh, we have to do grassroots right we have to support each other yeah do you think last question that uh i mean we were obviously hearing more and more and more about mental health yeah. in the last few years sure. um particularly when we talk about you know, athletes, do you think it is getting, people are getting more and more aware. Do you think it is improving or if we, uh, or not? Um, I think that there's more improvement. I think that there's still a whole lot of stigma and I will go back to, mm -hmm. um, I will also pull in the stuff about neurodiversity. Like mm -hmm. this is the first podcast that I've ever told people that I'm autistic in. I've done a lot of podcasts talking about my research this is the first one talking about that. And there's a lot of stigma out there and mm -hmm. it's not easy for someone to talk about, feeling different than other people, whether that means your mood, your mental health, um, or, you know, the fact that you might, your brain might function different than other people's. Um, stigma and fear is way more dangerous than 
anything, you know, any, anything that we can uh, do, do to ourselves. It is, it is something we do to each other. That's what's really, really damaging. So um, I think that things are better, but there's still a lot of, there are still a lot of blind spots, particularly, and I hate to single guys out again, but there's a real <laughs> dearth of information on particularly eating disorder and disordered eating in, in, uh, in men and right. athletes. And it is a significant distraction to what could be really excellent performance. And I would say that for, for all genders, uh, this question of, of uh, compromising nutrition is, is a significant distraction to excellent performance. It's almost never a good idea. It's yeah. And you know, it's very interesting because if you, if you come, I understand, look, I know a lot of people, they're like, you know, midlife crisis. They're like, I'm going to be a triathlete. Right. I'm going to lose the, 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 the sure. 15 pounds from pandemic. But I get all the reasons why you want to do that. You lose weight. You feel good. I get that hundred percent. But, um, again, there's that curve, right? There's a place where that healthy behavior starts to become unhealthy again. And, um, that's where we really gotta, we gotta dig our heels in and take a look there. I feel like I hope I hope a lot of people listen to all this and that they're now like they're probably sitting here thinking like through their head like wait does that sound like me yeah. is that me like, yeah no. and I wish that I could give people better resources of where to go look to figure out you know some of the stuff about neurodiversity um there's not great information out there oh, just please promise me anyone who's listening to this like do not do the online test like that's not gonna help you. <laughs> stay off the quizzes that's not gonna help you okay. really don't do that um but. Yeah, we're totally going to put a quiz up. Yeah, that yeah. Says. <laughs> Are you autistic and don't know it? You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. No, but there's there's resources out there. Um, just stay away from the I mean, do your research. Stay away from um, anything that has a puzzle piece on it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, realize that it's not one size fits all. All the genders are different in their expression. And um, yeah, so. Well, thank you so much for everything. I hope it's been illuminating people. And we'll include links to like a number of your stories, of course, yeah. so that people can read more. Yeah, I hope so. And um, yeah, there's more to come too. There's there's lots of lots of good stuff coming up. Thanks to Laura and to Jill. And thanks to all of you. Hopefully you found that episode as illuminating as I did. Keep training and keep listening. <laughs>